If you'll take your Bible and turn to Colossians 4, uh, that's where we're going to be. Colossians 4. Um, we are in this series called Seeks to Be, where we've got two goals. Our first goal is to remember who we are as a church. Um, we want to remember who we are, and to do that, we're going to look at our vision statement, which is on the screen. It says, Exodus Church seeks to be a redeemed people who worship and serve God in the world. And from that, we got our four core values of gospel, community, worship, and mission. And mission is the one we're going to be talking about more today. Uh, we also want to prepare ourselves as we move into the next chapter of what it means to be a redeemed people who worship and serve God in the world. Uh, the next chapter of this church is, is ahead of us in a, in, in, a, in a quick minute. And so we want to be faithful and know exactly what God wants us to do and who he calls us to be as we move forward. Today, we're talking about mission uh, in chapter four, where Paul connects prayer and mission. And as I've been reading over this passage, uh, I remembered a time very long ago when we were with our kids at the beach and one of my boys wanted to go into the waves by himself. And he was very insistent on this. Dad, I'm gonna do it by myself. I'm gonna do it by myself. And I was not like sitting back on my beach chair reading a book, watching my toddler play in the ocean. Uh, I was right down next to him, watching him do his thing because I knew what was gonna happen. And he was all in. And then one moment later, this wave that he wasn't prepared for just knocked him over. And I'm right there to pick him up and make sure he's safe and not gonna you know, be hurt or harmed. But he comes up out of that wave saying, I wanna hold you, I wanna hold you. And I said, I bet, let's go. <laughs> and so I picked him up and we're playing in the waves and you know, doing that thing. Now, maybe today you are like that child and the waves still seem doable to you. You feel like I got a nice, I got a clear bead on my life. I know what I'm going to be doing. I know what the next three steps are. I got it under control. Or maybe this week, one of those waves just hit you and knocked you for a loop. Whatever, whatever is true about you in this moment, my prayer for you and me is that we would feel our helplessness. If you think you got a good bead, my my prayer is that you would really realize, no, I don't see as well as I think. And if you've been knocked over by a wave this week, my prayer is that that helplessness would drive you to Jesus. And the reality is, until we know we can't, we'll never cry to the God who can. Until we know we can't, we'll never cry to the God who can. And so my hope is that we would really embrace that and realize that today. So I want to read Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, and then we'll jump in, and we'll pray and jump in. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the privilege of prayer, that you do not leave us helpless, tossed in the waves of our life, that you are present, that you are strong, and that you are aware. And I pray that we would feel both our helplessness today and your nearness, 
that we'd feel both of those and that we'd feel your strength and your power and your might even in the midst of our confusion and fear and anxiety. Would you do that, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Now, this command in verse two to continue steadfastly in prayer is based on the foundation of everything he's been saying through the book of Colossians. Everything about Christ and his preeminence, everything about us being delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, everything about us being forgiven through the blood of Jesus, everything about what kind of community the church is to be, about what worship is, all of that finds, um, all of that is the foundation on which this command rests. And in this command of prayer and then of mission, we're going to see two things from the passage. We're going to see the need for watchful prayer, and we're going to see the necessity of wisdom in our walk. So the need for watchful prayer and the necessity of wisdom in our walk. So we're going to start with the need for watchful prayer. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now notice first, Paul assumes they are praying. He does not tell them to start praying. He assumes they're praying and tells them to continue steadfastly in doing so. Throughout the New Testament, prayer is just an assumed part of the life of a believer. A follower of Jesus, it's just assumed that we're going to pray. In Matthew 6, Jesus does not say, if you pray, he says, when you pray. So prayer is just an assumed reality for a follower of Jesus. So what is prayer? Well, We make prayer so complicated. Prayer is really simple. Prayer is relating to God, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's relating to him. And we do that through silently listening for his voice through his word and by his spirit. And then we also do that through speaking to him. And that's primarily the way we think about prayer. We we say our prayers before bed. We say the prayer before our meal Uh, We usually think about speaking when we think about prayer, but prayer is also silently waiting to hear God from his word and from his spirit. It's relating to him. And in relating to him, we remember our need. We're praying not to tell God how awesome we are. (laughs) We're praying to tell God, I need you. And then we also remember his greatness. Prayer is rooted in God's greatness. And Paul assumes that they are doing this, which is why he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, this word, continue steadfastly, is a really interesting word. It means to persist obstinately. Um, If you have anything stubborn in you that you don't like, this is the one place to pour all of that stubbornness, is in prayer. We are to persist obstinately. We are to be stubborn about praying, is what he's saying. We're not to turn around. We're not to hold back. We are to be all in on prayer, relating to God, remembering our need, and remembering his greatness. That's what our prayer is to be like. And in light of all that's been said in Colossians about God, it makes sense that we should pray this way. Look back in chapter 1 of Colossians in verse 15. Verses 15 through 20, we see that God is so great that we should pray to him. He's so great. Look at this. This is speaking specifically about Jesus. 
He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the God we pray to is creator. Can you imagine the power this God has to speak and something to be made? And not just his power, but his creativity. Man, we love watching like Planet Earth and Blue Planet and all those shows on BBC that talk about the creative genius of our God. Think about that when we pray. Like when I'm looking at a problem, I might get two options to figure it out. God can think of millions of ways to sort that out. Can can you imagine his creativity as creator when you pray? And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. All those things in your life that feel like they're crumbling and falling apart, in him, they hold together. And he is the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him, in everything, he might be preeminent. Preeminent. Ruler. Master. The one who defeated death. Like our greatest enemy, he defeated. So when we bring our small prayers to him, he's not intimidated. And so what we see about Jesus in Colossians is that he is great. And so in light of that, why would we not continue steadfastly in prayer? But there's more. He's also good. Look at verse 21. And you who once were alienated, that means not even thinking about God and hostile in mind. That means thinking negative things about him and engaged in evil deeds. He, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So this God is not just great, he's also really good, even to those who were his enemies, who have been made family. And so when we think about this call to pray, we remember that our God is both great and he's really, really good. He he welcomes us into his presence, receives us with kindness and compassion and grace. And if all this is true, then why would we not pray? Ray Ortland, in commenting back on chapter four, he, he made this comment that if we are not praying, that it's a doctrinal issue. He said this, that we are either not believing something true about God or we are believing something that is untrue about ourselves. We're not believing something true about God. Maybe we're not believing that he's great. Maybe we're not believing that he's good. Or we're believing something untrue about us, that we can handle it, that we've got this that we're sufficient. Paul Miller, and if there's any book that shaped my prayer life, it's Paul Miller's A Praying Life. Um, It's an excellent book. I want to encourage you to read. I want to implore you to read it, okay? And I'm going to quote a lot from it, but at least I'm footnoting. I'm not plagiarizing, okay? Um, So Paul Miller in his book said this. It's going to be on the screen. If you are not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy, 
But if like Jesus, you realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired, you will find the time to pray. Paul assumes they're praying. He says, continue. He does not say start. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he speaks about how to pray specifically. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so Paul is calling them to an alertness, an awareness, an acknowledgement of what's going on around them and a remembrance of all that God is doing and has done. To be watchful and to be thankful. And then in verse three, he connects their praying to a mission that God is doing in the world that's outside of them. So they're not to pray only for their lives. They're not to pray only for their church. Their prayer is to be connected to something outside of them. Look at verse three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul asked them, this church in Colossae, he says, hey, pray for us. Pray for us over here as we're engaged in God's mission in the world. Pray that I would know what to say, when to say it. Pray that God would open a door. Notice he does not pray that he would get out of prison. He prays for an opportunity to speak the gospel and for clarity. And so for us as a church, that would connect us to our partners here. Um, We are a part of the Acts 29 network. We have uh, three members of our church who are on staff with Acts 29 Southeast and the effort to see churches planted around the Southeast. And so praying, praying for that work that's outside of us at some level. We have international partners like Redeemer Church of Dubai, Echelon, Casa de Gracia in Guatemala. We should be praying for them. We have domestic partners like Life Church. God gave them a building a few months ago. Apparently that happens. Um, Reconcile Church, uh, Epiphany Camden. These are, these are partners that we are uh, connected to financially and with prayer, and we should be praying for them the same way this church was praying for Paul. We are to be praying for them. We are to continue steadfastly in Exodus, if we are to be a people who serve God in the world, we must be a people who seek God in prayer. We must. The second thing Paul points them to is the necessity of wisdom in our walk. The necessity of wisdom in our walk. Look at verse five. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul has moved from this calling to prayer to this calling to a walk of wisdom with outsiders. Now, these outsiders are men and women who are not yet followers of Jesus. Everything true of the Christians in Colossae uh, before Christ is true of them. They're alienated, they're hostile, they're engaged in evil deeds. And Paul calls these people to walk in wisdom toward them. This idea of walking is an ongoing walk. This isn't something you start and stop. It's an ongoing lifestyle of wherever you live, work, and play, you're to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, which assumes that we'll be around outsiders. It assumes that we'll be around people who are not yet 
followers of Jesus. And specifically here, Paul calls them to do this in a way that makes the best use of the time. Now, what Paul is saying, and he echoes this in uh, Ephesians 5.15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So Paul says, there's a best use of your time such that you're able to walk in wisdom with outsiders. And so there's this call implicit here that we are not to be passive about the stewardship of the time God has given to us. Psalm 90 says, make me to number my days, teach me to number my days that I may have a a heart of wisdom. You and I each have 24-hour days. We have seven of them in a week. We all get the same amount of time and God's word is calling us to make the best use of it, which means we are not to be passive with it. We're going to be active in stewarding the time that God has given to us. This is how we are to walk with wisdom in this passage, to make the best use of our time such that we are walking with outsiders. So please, I implore you to not be passive about the way you you address your time. Now, um, for many of us, school has already started. For some of us, school starts very soon. I know, I know. And for the next month and a half, we're all going to be just crazy because everybody's trying to start everything at the same time. And if we do not think wisely about the stewardship of our time, somebody else will. Somebody, if we do not steward our time, somebody else will steward it for us. And so we need to be making the best use of it. That's one of the ways we walk with wisdom. And so Paul calls them to walk with wisdom, and he also assumes that they're going to be doing more than walking. Look at verse 6. He says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so there's this assumption that they're interacting with these um, outsiders, that they're interacting uh, together in such a way that they would ask questions, that they would um, need to speak to them. So this isn't one of those things where we just live lives in front of people and they'll become Christians because they see what we do. This, there's interaction, there's speaking. And he wants them to know how to be gracious, how to be winsome, how to answer. And so Paul wants them to walk with wisdom toward outsiders and speak with grace toward outsiders. And the way we say that here at Exodus is that all of us are called to be a missionary. Wherever we live, work, and play. So wherever God has placed you, wherever you live, God has called you to be a missionary there. Wherever you work, God has called you to be a missionary there. Whether you go to school at Forest View or Belmont Abbey or Gaston Christian or Ashbrook or South Point, wherever God has placed you, he calls you to be a missionary there. And then we embrace that value as a church. Our our groups are engaged in serving God in the world all over our area. And it's really an encouragement to hear about Gaston Street Ministry and Prison Ministry and Mercy Place and Crisis Pregnancy Center and a host of other ways that we are involved in the mission of Jesus in our community. And so we are to be a people of prayer who continue steadfastly in it. And we're to be a people 
who are engaged in walks of wisdom and speech that is gracious toward those who are not yet followers of Jesus. That's what Paul holds up for this church here in Colossae. And so, how do we apply this? How do we apply this into our lives? Well, I really just have one thing uh, that's fairly broad, and we'll start broad and kind of center down into our lives. This one thing is this. If we are going to persist in prayer, we need to feel the weight of our walk. If we are going to persist in prayer, we need to feel the weight of our walk. Now, prayer is one of those things that we know we should do, maybe even know that we need to do, but we so often don't do it regularly or with any real sense of necessity. Why is that? Now, Ray Ortland said it's because we're not believing something true about God or because we're believing something untrue about us. But one of the reasons we don't pray is because we really do believe that we have what it takes to deal with what we're facing. We really believe that. And to the degree that we think we can handle what we're facing, we will not pray. But to the degree that we realize that we can't handle what we're facing, then we will. So if we're going to persist in prayer, we've got to feel the weight of our walk. Paul Miller, from his book again, I'm just going to quote the book the whole rest of the time, so just be ready. It's going to be on the screen. It says this, The gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus, only works when we realize we don't have it all together. The same is true for prayer. The very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness. Oh, man, I hate that. Like, I hate, there is nothing, I mean, I hate this more than seafood. Like, I hate <laughs> helplessness. I hate it. And the very thing we are allergic to, our helplessness, is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. And until we feel this, until we feel the weight of our walk, we will not persist in prayer. So I want us to just consider our walk for a moment. And my hope is that we would feel the weight of this and not try hard and certainly not give up. But that this weight would press us to Jesus together. So let's start kind of broadly. I guess we could start in the world, but that feels really too big. So let's just start in our community. Charlotte metro area um, is 2.4 million people. 200,000 of those live in Gaston County. Census data tells us that 52% of those in Charlotte metro profess to be Christians. That means that well over a million people who live in this community do not profess faith in Jesus Christ. And every one of those who dies without professing faith in Jesus Christ spends a Christless eternity in a place called hell. They're made in the image of God. They have souls. They're the people we bump into at Concord Mills and Earth Fair and Starbucks and at the Panthers game. These are people made in the image of God. They're our neighbors, they're our friends, and they're seeking life where it will not be found. They're seeking life in accomplishments and success and 
new and shiny and a nice yard in the suburbs and well-behaved kids and all the things that will not give life. And we have the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Not in morality, not in trying hard to be better, not in any of those things. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again so that we could belong to him. And that gospel is for them to hear and repent and believe. And if uh, 52% of them profess faith in Jesus, that means well over a million of them do not. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you feel the weight of that? And the task of sharing this news is getting harder and harder in our context. There are incredibly dark spots on the church right now in the world. I mean, incredibly dark spots on the church in the world right now. The connection of white evangelicals to the Republican Party and the disparity between our comments now and those from the 90s is creating an incredibly dark spot on the mission of God and the church of God in the world. And whatever you think, about policy, whatever you think, however you voted, you and I need to understand that that reality is making our mission very hard right now. Because in the 90s, character counts, character counts, character counts from every pastor they could put on television. And now, oh, he's not the pastor in chief. And lost people see that and they think, I don't want anything to do with that. And it's making our mission harder. Another dark spot on the witness of the church is corruption in all kinds of churches. If you read the article that came out in the New York Times about the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, it was chilling. And then the stuff coming out of Willow Creek with Hybels and some of the sins he committed. It's just another opportunity for those who don't want to follow Jesus to not follow him. Second, we live in a context where people think that because they, they're better than someone else or because they go to church or because their grandmother went to church that they're a Christian. So those who say they are followers of Jesus, that 52%, we don't know how many of them are actually Christians. They may just check the box. And so the mission to which we're called in our community is a weighty, weighty mission. Over a million people in the Charlotte metro area who do not profess faith in Christ. That's weighty. Now let's talk about our church. Man, as I said, it's, we're, we're seeing lots of new people. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We want more of you to be here. We love people hearing the gospel of Jesus and experiencing it in the life of our church. We want that. And we're called to care for one another and we're called to consider how to encourage one another and stir up one another to love and good deeds and We're called to play our role in the church, which means we're to serve here and invest here and and use the gifts God's given us to make this church what God has called her to be. And that can get weighty. And all that weight in our community and in our church, all that weight should drive us to prayer. And then in our closest relationships, our closest relationships, we've got friends that feel like family, people we love and we hurt with and we feel for. 
we pray for. You see their struggles. Does that not feel weighty? Many of us have aging parents. Last weekend, I was with my mom for her 70th birthday. It was such a blessing to get to be with her. But then to realize, my mom's 70. What, what kind of responsibility am I going to have to her? And how am I going to engage her? And she's so stubborn, she's going to outlive all of us. But I, I've got responsibility to my mom. And how do I do that from 12 hours away? Because God has not called me to move back. So how do I do that? Think about our spouses, those closest relationships, our spouses, and the commands given to husbands and wives and the covenant we made together and the thought that we've got twice as long statistically to be together. I mean, God's sovereignty and all that thing. I could die tomorrow, all those things. But statistically, we've got a long time to be together and that our marriage would picture the gospel of Jesus. Do you, do you feel the weight of that? And then have kids. I mean, I get why some of you have dogs. Okay? Like, have kids. The weight, the weight of life with these children that God has entrusted you with to send out into the world like an arrow, Psalm 127 says. And you raise them and you do everything you can to help them honor the Lord. And, and they have to own that and they have to own walking with Jesus. And sometimes they do it right, sometimes they do it wrong, and that's really weighty. In a praying life, Paul Miller said this about prayer and parenting. He said, it took me 17 years to realize I couldn't parent on my own. It was not a great spiritual insight, just a realistic observation. If I didn't pray deliberately and reflectively for members of my family by name every morning, they'd kill one another. Amen. Amen. I was incapable of getting inside their hearts. I was desperate, but even more, I couldn't change my self-confident heart. My prayer journal reflects both my inability to change my kids and my inability to change my self-confidence. That's why I need grace even to pray. Moms, dads, do you feel the weight of parenting? Community, church, closest relationships. Now, we haven't even gotten to us. Do you feel the weight of your walk as an individual following Jesus? I mean, just think about the one command in verse six. Let your speech always be gracious. For real? Are you serious right now? Like even before my coffee? Even toward the person who's messing up my coffee? Even toward the person who's, you know, blocking me in traffic and pulling in front of me, I'm supposed to be gracious to them? The idiot that won't listen to me, I'm supposed to be gracious to them always? You think you can do that? <laughs> Always gracious? James 3 says this. It's going to be on the screen. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So James is saying it ought not be, and it is. You feel the weight of that. 
you feel the weight of that. Now, in this moment, when we feel the weight of our community and the weight of our church and the weight of our closest relationships and the weight of our conduct, when we feel those things, it can do one of three things. We can give up, just, no, I'm just done. i just just done. We can try harder or we can let all this weight push us to Jesus in prayer. All this weight push us to the one who created all things and in him all things hold together. Push us to this one who defeated death and rose victorious over the grave. So when you feel the weight of your walk, when you feel the weight of your community and your church and the closest relationships and the call of our conduct in the Lord, when you feel the weight of that, let it drive you to persist in prayer, to continue steadfastly in prayer. And when we get to him, we find that he's great. He's not intimidated and he's good. He's good.